Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So I was 23 years old when I started t- teaching, and my first day started with grade 10 home room. I introduced myself, hey, I'm Mr. Manis, which felt weird to me because I felt like I was the same age as those grade 10 students, and I'm telling them to call me Mr. Manis, but I did. And then we spent some time doing highlights and lowlights of their summer. And with about two minutes left in homeroom, I stopped and I said, hey, just a quick reminder, after school tomorrow, volleyball tryout. It's going to be awesome. I hope you all come. We're going to have a great season. Now, I had never taken any time to research the athletic history or success of the school where I was going to be teaching, but I was about to get a crash course. At the back of the room, a young man put his hand up. I said, hey man, what's your name? He said, my name is Cash, and that really was his name, amazing, awesome guy. He says, my name is Cash, and what's your name again? I said, Mr. Man. He said, okay, Mr. Mass, I'm just wondering, you said that we were going to have a great season. Really? I said, yeah, that's the goal, Cash. He said, so are you suggesting that you think that we're going to win games? I said, yeah, I was kind of hoping so, Cash. You know, that's kind of why you play. He said, okay, okay, let me help you out a little bit, Mr. Uh, Manis. Mr. Manis, let me help you out a little bit. We don't win. What I mean by that is, as long as I can remember, we've never won a game. He said, like, imagine that you're a school and you're having a terrible season and you just haven't won a single game, you see that we're on your schedule and you get really excited because you realize, well, there's one win at least. He said, have you been down to our gym? I said, yeah, for a bit. He said, we don't have a wood floor, we have wall-to-wall carpet. He said, we don't have jerseys, we write numbers on the back of t-shirts with electrical tape. The sad thing was, was Cash was mostly right in what he said, but we got to work. And slowly but surely, we started to win. We won some games. I coached volleyball and basketball. We won some games, and then eventually we won some tournaments, and then we won some Fraser Valley championships, and then eventually we won some provincial championships. It was a lot of work, like a lot of hours, countless hours, which is a story for another day, too many hours. Anyways, along the way, I got the reputation of being a pretty tough coach, which I think was well-earned. Like I broke clipboards over my knee from time to time. I made a few of my boys' basketball teams run until they threw up. I was known to even raise my voice from time to time. And if you asked me, why are you so driven and why are you so tough, I would have said this. I would have said, well, we got a little bit of ground to make up, you know? Like, we got electrical tape numbers on the back of our T-shirts. We got some work to do. So I was driven and I was tough, and some people would have described me as mean. Then one summer, I took our senior boys' basketball team to a team camp in Vancouver. So it was skills development in the morning and a tournament in the afternoon. And one afternoon, we played against the provincial team from Saskatchewan. So that meant that all the best players in Saskatchewan who were grade 11 going into grade 12 were on one team. And we were playing um, them with my little senior boys' basketball team, which was almost totally kids going into grade 11, one kid going into grade 12, three kids going into grade 10, and one kid going into grade nine, and we won, but that's not the most memorable thing that happened that day. So midway through the third quarter, I'm walking down the bench, and I say, hey, Justin, I need you to check in, and Justin says, no, and I go, what? He says, I'm not feeling it today, coach. This is not my day. I'm like, Justin, 
it's really not going to be your day in a second. Just check into the game. Okay, and so before Justin checked into the game, I want to describe a little bit about who Justin is and was as a player. Out of the hundreds of kids I've coached in my life, Justin is seriously one of my favorite. Like a great kid, incredibly athletic, strong, tenacious, one of the best defenders I've ever coached, a nightmare to play against. So Justin checked into the game, and the thing is, he was right. It wasn't his day. It was just not his day. He was turning the ball over. He got into foul trouble almost immediately. He was missing open layups. Justin went into the game midway through the third quarter. We're up 10, okay? By the end of the third quarter, we're down one, in large part because of Justin's bad day, okay? So the team is coming off to get ready for the fourth quarter, the break between the third and fourth quarter, and Justin walks by me and he says, I told you it wasn't my day. I don't even want to be here. I hate this. Oh, okay. So I said to my assistant coaches, you guys need to take the huddle. I'm going to have a little talk with Justin. So Justin and I walked outside the gym and stood just outside the gym doors. And I said, hey, man, so you don't want to be here, huh? I said, it's the first week of August, right? First week of August, yeah. I said, Justin, do you know what other teachers are doing the first week of August? They're hanging out with their family. They're at the lake. They're swimming in their pool. They're standing on their deck drinking a nice, tall iced tea. You know what I'm doing, Justin? I'm coaching you. I'm in this stuffy gym having you tell me that you don't want to be here. So I have an idea, Justin. Here's what I think. Instead of telling me that you hate this and you don't want to be here, how about this? How about you tell me, I don't know, like, thank you. Thanks, coach, for giving up time with your family. Thanks, coach, for giving up that tall glass of iced tea. Thanks for giving up the lake. Thanks for giving up the swimming pool. Thanks for believing us. Thanks for making us better. And I'm just going on and on and on about all the things that I think Justin should say thank you to me for. And I look up, and there's a tear running down Justin's face. And so I stopped. And he looked at me, and he said, I think about that all the time, coach, about how much I appreciate everything that you do for us. And I want to say thanks, but I can't really find the right words. Well, now I got tears in my eyes. And I said, Justin, I, th I think you just did. And I hugged him, and I said, I love you, kiddo. He said, I love you too, coach. So we walked back in the gym, and I sat down for the fourth quarter. I was just in a daze. It was a really close game. It went back and forth. We ended up winning in large part because Justin had a brother named Jamie on our team and Jamie was substantially better than all the best players in Saskatchewan that year. I didn't call any timeouts, I didn't yell any instructions, I just sat there. And I couldn't get past that conversation. So the game ends and we go and we shake hands with the Saskatchewan players and the coaches and I called the team in, I said, hey guys, can we have a meeting out in the field? There was a field just right outside the gym, and so all the players, all the assistant coaches, all the managers, all the parents who had helped drive out to Vancouver that day came out there, and I stood there and I said, you probably noticed that I had a talk with Justin in between the third and fourth quarter. And a lot of the guys were smiling, and yeah, 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 we noticed. Glad it wasn't me, coach, you know? And uh, I said, I learned something today. I said, I'm really proud of you. Like, not because you beat Saskatchewan, that was great, but because you're an amazing young man, but I don't show it. I really love you, but I don't think I show it. 
I said, I think I sometimes motivate through fear. And I think sometimes I tear you down instead of build you up. And so I just wanted to stand here and say, I'm really, really sorry. So then I stopped and I looked around and I said, I love you. I'm proud of you and I'm gonna show it. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm gonna show it. As I drove home that day from the team camp in Vancouver, I prayed. I said, God, help me. Help me to love like you love. Help me to be kind like you're kind. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to stand up here and tell you, man, I was never mean, I was never angry again throughout my entire coaching career, and you know what? I pretty much wasn't. That moment changed me. And, and, and I bring that up because we're in this series based on the 12 steps of recovery. Let me put it this way for you. That we live in a world and it's really beautiful, but it's also really broken. And, and, and the thing about the brokenness in this broken world is sometimes the brokenness in this broken world leaves me broken, leaves you broken. And the problem with that is that broken people break people. Like we live in a world where there's lots of happiness, but there's also a lot of hurt. And, and the problem with the hurt in this world that we live in is that this hurt, this hurting world can leave us hurting. And the problem with that is that hurting people hurt people. And so we're on this journey through the 12 steps of recovery because this is what I know also. Even though broken people break people, even though hurting people hurt people, here's the truth also. That if you and me decide that we're gonna start this journey towards healing, that people on the journey towards healing will bring healing not just to themselves but to others too. That if we start this journey towards freedom, we're gonna bring freedom not just to ourselves but to others too. That when we, bring an, we begin an intentional journey towards hope, we're not just gonna find hope for us but we're gonna find hope for others. And we're walking through it step by step by step. And today is step five. It says this, we admitted. We admitted to God ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We admitted to God ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. There's a word in church circles that kind of describes step five, and that word is confession. Confession. We, we confess to God, we confess to ourselves, we confess to another person where we've gotten it wrong. Some people say that confession is good for the soul. I think that's true. I would maybe put it this way. The, the journey to healing runs through confession. Let me be very clear that you, that, that you hear me. The, the journey to healing in your life runs through confession. The, the journey to freedom in your life runs through confession. The journey to hope in your life runs through confession. The journey to strength in your life actually runs through the humility required for confession. That's the journey. So we confess to God. David said it this way in Psalm 32. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll come clean about my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. Suddenly these things add up. Every one of us needs to pray. When all hell breaks loose, the dam and the dam burst will be on high ground, untouched. We confess to God, we confess to ourselves. James 4 says this, God goes against the willful proud, God gives grace to the willing humble. 
God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. And finally, we confess to another person. James 5 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The journey to healing runs through confession. The journey to strength runs through confession. The journey to freedom runs through this thing called confession. So what I want to do is I want to keep it pretty simple today. I just want to give you three words that I hope will be three words of inspiration and then three words of instruction that I hope will help you on this journey through confession towards freedom and healing. Okay, first word of inspiration is this. Confession is truth and truth is life. Confession is truth and truth is life. Confession is truth and truth is life. If you've ever been walking through a forest and maybe you see a place where a tree has fallen, okay, and it's been there for some time. In other words, it's blocked light from this particular portion of the forest floor for a long time. Have you ever taken that log, that tree, and lifted it up and looked what's underneath where no light has gotten to for a long time? What's under there? Ugly stuff. Ugly stuff is under there. You know why? Because ugly things, ugly things grow in the dark. Ugly things grow in the dark. Ugly things grow when we keep them hidden. What's true in nature is true in my life. Ugly things grow in the dark. Last week, after I preached step four, I got an email from a young lady named Jordan. I've never met Jordan face to face, but man, oh man, did I love her email. Just incredible. She just talked about the journey that she's on through recovery. And I could really relate because we're all on a journey called recovery, aren't we? And so I could really relate, and she talked about that. She said, man, I've been loving this series, and I'm so stoked for step five. And she gave me this quote that says it better than I could say it. She says this, we're as sick as our secrets. And I said, Jordan, that's awesome. I'm going to rip it off, and I just did. We're as sick as our secrets. We're as sick as our secrets. Ugly stuff grows in the dark, not just in nature, but in my life. Confession is truth, and truth is life. What kind of life? I don't know. A life where I'm not having to walk around with a mask all the time. A life where I'm not worried about getting caught. A life where I'm not worried for people to see the real me. A life where I have to spend pretending. That kind of life. You know what I mean? That's the kind of life we're called to. Authenticity. It's like when you're a little kid and you do something wrong and you're scared your parents are going to find out. I never did anything wrong as a kid, but my, maybe you did, so you can probably relate to this a little bit, okay? And so you did something wrong, and you're worried that they're going to find out, and then they don't, but you're kind of, you, you just, you're walking around on eggshells, and then eventually they find out, and there's a part of you, there's a part of you, there's a part of you that actually feels relieved. Confession is truth, and truth is life. Number two, confession is authenticity, and authenticity connects us. Let me put that a different way. Connect, uh, confession is vulnerability, and vulnerability connects us. Yeah, I like that better. Confession is vulnerability, and vulnerability connects us. You know that, right? Like, like we don't connect through strengths. Like, I could sit here for two hours and have you tell me all the things that are awesome about you. I don't think I'll feel any more connected to you than when you started bragging, to be honest. Like, good on you. I'm cheering you on, but I don't, I don't feel real connected with you. We, we, we connect through our vulnerability, not through our strengths. See, the purest form of relationship in a marriage, 
in your family, in friendships, is when real me meets real you. It's so hard to get to in this world because so many of my relationships and so many of your relationships are the me that I think you want me to be related to the you that you think I want you to be. Do you understand what I mean? And so there's all these layers and all these masks and all, these, all this pretending, you don't even know me. We, we get connected not through our strengths but through our vulnerability. That's why if you ever go to a church where everybody acts perfect, run. Run fast. If you ever go to a church where everybody's acting perfect, you won't connect with anyone. Because you'll look at them and something inside of you will say, I can't relate to you. And now I'm scared to let you get close to me because if you get close to me, you're gonna realize, oh, I'm nothing like you. But if you show up at a church sometime where the church says it's okay to not be okay, that we're all on a journey, it's okay to not be okay, a church where people would admit that they're not perfect, maybe a little bit like this where the guy on the stage would say, especially me, you might wanna stick around. You might wanna be a part of that because now, now, now you're moving to this place of real me, real you. You understand what I mean? That we, that, 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 that we actually are connected through our authenticity, through our vulnerability more than we are through our strengths. So confession is truth and truth is life. Confession is vulnerability and vulnerability connects us. And finally, confession is knowledge and knowledge brings growth. I'm really nervous about this next part of the sermon. I have told this dad joke to 27 people in the last week, testing it for this very moment, thinking that eventually somebody would laugh and yet nobody did. And yet, being Dutch, I'm stubborn, so I'm gonna tell it to you and you're at least gonna give me a cursory, polite laugh to my dad joke, is that okay? You're a dad, you must do this, okay, are you ready? So this is a dad joke, it's hilarious. It's hilarious if you think about it, okay? Here it is, are you ready? You're on the edge of your seats. See, now I've, I've built it up too much. <laughs> cursory laugh, at least a polite laugh. Okay, so here it is, dad joke, okay? So, so someone comes to you and they ask you for directions and what you say to them is, I don't know. It's not funny now that I think about it. <laughs> it's not funny. It just hit me. It's not funny at all. Okay. Are you ready? So they come to you and you ask, ask you for direction. And your dad joke is you say this. You can't, you can't get there from here. Is that sort of funny? No, it's not. I don't know why I just kept saying I said it first service they didn't like it either <laughs> it's sort of funny you know why it's sort of funny because it's a lie you can get anywhere from anywhere except what are this what about this what if you invite me to your place for a barbecue this afternoon and you didn't thank you okay and so I'm, I'm, I'm driving on my way to your house and I call you I'm driving on, on my way to your house and I call you and I say this Hey, a little confused. How do I get to your place? What's the first question you're gonna ask me? And I say, I don't know, just tell me how to get to your house. <laughs> Where are you, Mike? I don't know. Lost. That's about all I know. Where am I lost? Just tell me. Well, I can't. Confession is knowledge. If the firm foundation of your life is like this person you're pretending to be, you can't get anywhere. But if you come to a place in your life where you're like, yeah, this is where I am. 
Pretty great in about 17 areas, a couple areas I'm lost in. Ah, there we go, there we go, that's where we're at. Now we can grow. If you ever use that joke in your life ever, can you just drop me a line, encourage me, because that hurt. That, that was a painful five minutes that I just walked through, okay? Just know that. So three inspirations towards confession. Number one, confession is truth and truth is life. Number two, confession is vulnerability and vulnerability actually connects us. And thirdly, confession is knowledge and knowledge brings growth. When it comes to how to confess, just three words of instructions. Number one, when you confess to God, be specific. When you confess to God, be specific, be specific. Which seems kind of weird, right? Because God knows everything. Like, why do I have to tell God specifically what I've done wrong or what with the baggage that I'm carrying or the regret that I'm dragging around with me? Why do I gotta be specific if God knows everything? That seems kind of odd. Here's why, here's why, here's why, because God's not a bully. God is not a bully. God is not a bully. So here's the thing. He's not gonna grab you by the scruff of the neck and throw you to healing. He's not gonna grab you by the lapels and like shove you up against freedom. He's not gonna grab you by the belt and vault you to hope. God's not a bully. God's not a bully. He won't step into any area of your life that you don't invite him into. He won't. So when you're specific, by very nature, confession is just saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And God says, ah, glad you asked. You say, well, if I get specific, isn't that humiliating? I don't think so. I think if you think it's humiliating, you're thinking about it wrong. Imagine this, you're a hockey player on a hockey, so many, so many sports analogies today, I apologize, but anyways, just one more, okay? So you're playing hockey, and you're in the Stanley Cup final, okay? You just lost game six, series tied 3-3. You're going into game seven. You're gonna win. You're gonna win it. You're gonna win the cup. You sit down with your coach, you talk about the things that you did wrong. The weaknesses of your game. Why, to humiliate you? No, not at all. We're stepping into the W. We're gonna win this thing, man. That's the goal, right? So when you confess to God, be specific. Not because he wants to humiliate you, just the opposite. Because he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and he's not a bully. Second, when you confess to yourself, be aware. Be aware. When you confess to yourself, it is a sober self-assessment. But I'll tell you what's going to happen in your life. In this broken world we live in, in this hurting world we live in, there's two things that are going to end up happening. When you confess to yourself, you're going to move past sober self-assessment, and you're going to move to two things. The first is called condemnation. Be aware when condemnation comes to rear its ugly head in your life. Be aware of that. Condemnation, you can tell condemnation is beginning to emerge in your confession when this happens. When you begin to think that because that thing happened, it somehow defines you. I failed, therefore I am a? That's condemnation. I lost, therefore I am a loser. I fell down and I will never, ever, ever give up. That's condemnation. Be aware, be aware. 
be aware that our mind sometimes gets defeated. And Jesus didn't call you to be, to be defeated. Jesus called you into victory. So when condemnation rears its ugly head in your life, you need to remember, you need to remind yourself that Jesus stepped into human history to define you. That when Jesus died on the cross, he took your past with him. Your past is gone. Your past is dead. Your past is over. When you turn to him, when you invite him, it's over. It's done. Fresh start. New beginning. How are you defined? You're defined by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen, here's what's great. He didn't just call you to go from sick to not sick. He didn't just call you to go from bondage to not in bondage. He calls us into health. He calls us into freedom. He calls us into strength and hope and joy. So when condemnation begins to rear its ugly head, stop it. And remember, that stuff back there, Jesus looked after that. I'm gonna give you a chance in a few moments from now because if you've never accepted the free gift of forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you through his death and resurrection, you're gonna have a chance to do that today. Move past it. Move past it. Because if you walk in condemnation for too long, there's another thing that's gonna emerge and that's called accusation. Accusation is deadly. You can recognize the accusation this way when you start to speak to yourself in the second person. You can identify accusation, you can spot accusation, you can be aware of accusation when you start to speak to yourself in the second person. You never do anything right. You're a loser. You're a failure. They'd be better off without you. So you, you, you allow condemnation to run its course in your life, you're gonna start hearing words of accusation. See, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I've come that you might have life, abundant life, but the enemy, the devil, your spiritual adversary, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy. Steal your hope, kill your freedom, destroy your healing. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And one of the names given to the enemy in the Bible is the accuser. So when you start to hear yourself speaking to yourself in the second person, time up. Time up. That's demonic. That's an attack. And I changed the sermon this morning. I'm gonna to confess to you. I changed the sermon this morning. What I was gonna to say to you is this. It's gonna get all like Coach Luke, tough guy, you know? I was gonna say, hey, when the, when the devil points his finger of accusation at you, you just reach up and you break it. What I was gonna say is I was gonna say when the devil comes to you to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. Because Jesus defeated him. Through his death and resurrection, the devil, your enemy, his defeat is certain. It's just not yet completed. One day, it's going to be all over. And I thought about telling you that, breaking fingers, taking names, and then I thought to myself, wait a minute. See, here's the problem with that. The devil waits till I'm weak to speak his words of accusation to me. 
you know, when I'm like kicking butt and taking names, when I'm large and in charge, when I'm ready to like charge hell with a super soaker, that's not when the enemy shows up. That's not when he speaks words of accusation. He speaks them when I'm weak. He speaks them when I don't think I'm in the position where I'm gonna be breaking fingers. Because I've been, condemnation has just wrung me out. I'm feeling like, a, you, I just told you. I feel like those failures make me a failure. I feel like those losses make me a loser. I feel like I stumbled and I'm never, ever, ever gonna get up. So I don't feel like breaking fingers or arguing with somebody about the past and the future. So I just wanna give you one simple step. No matter how weak you feel, no matter how defeated you feel, one simple step. When you hear that voice of accusation, one simple step. No matter how weak you feel, no matter how overwhelmed you feel, no matter how lost you feel, one simple step. Here it is, one name, Jesus. That's it, that's it, that's it, one name. When you hear that voice of accusation in your life, you speak out loud the word of Jesus. Colossians 2.15 says this, Jesus disarmed the spiritual forces of evil at the cross. He disarmed them, it's over. And he made a spectacle of them, he made a ridicule of them, he made a joke of them when he went into their turf and beat them at their own game. He defeated defeat, he defeated death, he defeated darkness. All you need is the name of Jesus, that's it. Philippians 2.10 says this, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every single knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, everywhere. So you speak the name of Jesus, and those enemies, they stand down. They have no other choice. He disarmed them. He disarmed them. He disarmed them. You have an enemy named the devil. Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion. Prowls around like a roaring lion. Absolutely, but can we all remember this? He's a toothless, roaring lion. He's a toothless, roaring lion. He's been disarmed. So he can accuse, he can threaten, he can tempt, but he's been defeated. So number one, when you confess to God, be specific. When you confess to yourself, be aware. Be aware of condemnation, be aware of accusation. And finally, thirdly, when you confess to another person, be careful. Be careful. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. So in other words, choose somebody to confess to. Choose somebody. Don't go out into the lobby today and start sharing your deepest, darkest secrets with random strangers. Okay? Choose somebody. Choose somebody who, who can pray for you so they love you and they love Jesus. Choose a wise person. Choose a counselor. I mean, if you're not in a small group right now, I wanna tell you again, I would love for you to do that, to have some people in your life who love you and love Jesus, who can pray for you, that you can speak real with, you know, real me, real you, that. And I know it's summer, okay? It's like, I don't have time this summer to get in a small group, fair. But why don't you just text the keyword group? Why do I always do this when I say text? Like, people know what texting is. It's still that dad joke, it's rattling me, I can't get past it. Um, 604-670-3040, and get locked in for the fall. Just, just have at least one wise person in your life that you can be real with and, and that can also guide you. Because sometimes confession can get a little bit weird. Let me explain. 
you're gonna be tempted at times, you're gonna be tempted to go to somebody who you've hurt or you've wronged and confess to them, and it's gonna be for you, not for them. It's gonna be to get something off your chest, not to help them. Give you a simple example. In my life, I've had a bunch of times, a bunch of times where somebody will come up to me and they'll say, hey Mike, can I confess something to you? And like the first couple times somebody said that to me, I was like, absolutely, you know, I'm there for you. Now when they say that, I'm just like, oh no. I'm like, okay, and I know what's coming. Can I confess something to you? Okay, I've hated you for years. <laughs> years and years and years I've hated you. And here's 17 reasons why. But I don't hate you anymore. And I just needed to tell you that feels so much better now. Have a great day. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of us, idiot. You know, I'm, all I'm thinking about is the fact that I didn't even know you hated me. And you hated me for all those years. And then you gave me 17 reasons why, jerk. <laughs> Pastors aren't supposed to call people jerks. I don't. I say, bless you, my child. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> I've always loved you, though. Always. Deeper now than ever, in fact. Anyways, where was I? Oh yeah, just be careful, okay? Just have someone wise in your corner that you can walk with a little bit. So we're gonna end this service a little different. We're gonna end this service a little different. Before I go any further, can you please stick around, okay? Because um, you're gonna love the end of this service. I wanna put this into practice. I wanna spend some time having a real conversation with God. No masks, no pretending. He knows you and he loves you. Just talk to him. And see, what I realize is that for so many people, they got this really wrong impression of God. And so they don't even want to approach him. And they certainly don't want to confess anything to him. So I got a story for you. So I was 23 years old when I started teaching school and stayed there for over a decade teaching at the same school. <clears throat> and uh, eventually, my oldest daughter, Tori, got old enough to be attending the same school where I taught and where I coached. I was in the high school and she was over in the elementary, but she was there. And I remember one day, she was just a little kid. I'm in the gym and I got lunch hour supervision. And an elementary teacher came up to me and said, uh, hey Mike, you need to come outside. I said, I said, why? And they said one word, Tori. I said, what? And when they hesitated, I just, I just walked. And then I ran, because I knew where Tori was every single lunch hour, she was in the playground. So I walked out there and there was a big circle of people gathered around Tori. She fell off the monkey bars and she broke her arm. And as I ran up to her, I remember her, see <clears throat> I remember her seeing me. And what's weird is I could tell that she made a visible effort when she saw me to stop crying because she wanted to make a good impression on her dad. She wanted to be tough, you know? And so I get over to her and she's got all that, you know, that stupid sawdust that they put underneath monkey bars. I despised monkey bars and sawdust in that moment. I would have like dismantled the whole thing with my hands. And she's over there and she's got that sawdust on her little blue jumper that they wore at that school in elementary. You know, the little blue jumper with the white blouse underneath. And there, she's there and her arm is clearly broken. And I got over there, and you can imagine what I said, right? You can imagine what I said, right? You can, you can just imagine what I would have said to her that moment. I said, are you kidding me? What kind of embarrassment is this? You fell? No daughter of mine. 
I'm out of here. I want nothing to do with her. What a joke. You're looking at me right now like I'm weird, or than you already thought I was. And you're right, that's weird. And yet, and yet, you know what else is weird? Somebody just had, took a header in the backstage also. <laughs> but in, <laughs> well, they did, man. I mean, I heard it. We, are we okay back there? Someone just broke their arm on the monkey bar to the backstage. <laughs> oh, man, where was I now? Oh, yeah, Tori. It's weird. Of course, I wouldn't say that. And yet, you know what else is equally weird? We think that God's like that. A God who loves infinitely more than I could ever love my kid, and I love my kid a lot. We think God's like that. So let me tell you something. Before the band plays this song and we spend a little bit of time in confession, can I just say a few things? Number one, number one, number one, God doesn't want you to pretend to be anybody. You feel like crying, you cry. All the masks are gone. He knows you, he loves you. And number two, please remember this. When I went over to Tori and I saw her lying there in her little blue jumper with her arm broken, you think I loved her just a little bit more or just a little bit less? I think I loved her just a little bit more. That's how God feels about you. When you say, God, I fell. I fell. I need your help to get back up. And one last thing. So the band's gonna sing, and you can stay seated if you want. You can sing along. You can just take some time to reflect. But one thing that I would really love if you could do, could you talk to God? Could you talk to God? And just make sure, by the way, when you talk to God, that you use a lot of words like this, thee and thou and half. That's a word, you know, half. Make sure you use those words, because God loves that when you do that. No, it's just another mask. It's another weird way that churches have done it. It's so weird. You know, you should talk to God like you would talk to your dad, like a great dad, like you would talk to a best friend, best of best friends. Just talk to him that way. I'll be back up in a few minutes. It's me. 
nothing like his love Your love Thank you, Lord People might fail, but God, you never fail. My strength might fail, but you never fail. My good works might fail, but you never fail. Thank you, God. Just before anybody further, I wanna tell you again, God's not a bully. But I wanna give you the opportunity, wherever you are right now, whether you're online or in person, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I'm telling you, God sent his son. He died so that you could move past your past. He rose again so that you can step out from the baggage and the regret. Strength for today. Beauty for tomorrow. Life, 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 real life. Step by step all the way through eternity. So if you've never accepted his free gift, I want to give you that opportunity right now just to raise your hand nice and high so I can pray for you. If you don't mind, whether you're online or in person, it becomes more real when you make that expression. It's awesome. Awesome. If you just raised your hand, you can put it down, and I'm going to pray out loud while you pray silently along with me. So Jesus, again, thank you. Today I give you my past. Heal my hurts. Forgive my sins. I move on. Give me the strength to follow you. Thank you that you died and you rose again for me. And Father, for all of us, whether we've been in church for a week or for 40 years, we give you us. All the highs and the lows, all the beautiful and the not so beautiful, everything, everything, everything. We love you, we trust you. You're so good and you're so great and you love us so much and we are so incredibly grateful. In your name. Amen. Let's celebrate. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.